Strategic Financial Partners presents the Rush Hour Podcast, where the rubber meets the road on the economy, stock market, and personal finance. Now here's your host, Matt Rush. Welcome to the Rush Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rush, and with me today is the head of fixed income for BNY Mellon Wealth Management, John Flayhive. John is a CFA charter holder and is responsible for all fixed income strategy, policy, and management on assets totaling more than $25 billion. He is chairman of the Bond Strategy Committee and is a member of the Investment Strategy Committee, Investment Policy Committee, and Asset Review Committee. John, it sounds like you're a very busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time to join me today on the program. Happy to be here, Matt. So today I wanted to take a deeper dive into the fixed income markets. Most of the media has focused on swings in the equity market, but the the bond market saw some volatility there as well. So could you speak to some of the volatility that happened and perhaps the Fed's response to all of it? Yeah, like you said, most of the public is always looking at the equity market or the stock market, but the volatility in the bond market was, was almost as bad as it was we saw in the Great Recession, and in many ways worse, just because of the swiftness and the degree of volatility we saw. Uh, really, just the, the catalyst of it was came from just the panic going on from investors rushing out of anything that looked risky. And in the bond market, that's really, when you think about it, it's uh, corporate bonds, it's high yield, it's investment grade, and even municipal bonds saw a lot of volatility. And it weren't for the Fed, the uh, Federal Reserve, that came in and dusted off some of the programs that they used back in 2008 to stabilize the fixed income markets, and importantly, came up with a few new uh, programs, the market would have been much worse. But uh, the volatility was part of that because market went dramatically down. High yield was down nine, almost 20% in a period of about a month in total return. Uh, municipal bonds, too, they were, they were down uh, you know, several uh, hundred basis points in a period of about a month as well. But when the Federal Reserve stepped in and instituted a couple new programs, it really helped for the market to come back. So it was a, very much of a roller coaster, not too different than what we saw within the equity market, the stock market, which went down about 35% and it came back. The bond market had the same type of experience and volatility. And like I said, in many ways, is as uh, dramatic as what we saw in 2008 and in some ways even more dramatic. So you talked about the new programs. I'm assuming that you're talking about the money market liquidity facility, perhaps the secondary market corporate credit facility. Could, could you go into a little bit more detail about what exactly those were? Yeah, the, the, those are re- really critical to, to help stabilize the, the market and make sure that the overall capital markets continue to operate normally. The first one, the money market uh, credit facility, uh, it allowed money markets to sell their securities, importantly, at their book cost to the Federal Reserve. And what was going on is individuals and retail investors were selling out of their money funds that were anything other than government-backed money money markets or treasury-backed money markets. So you had prime funds, the, those type of money markets that have high-quality securities, but they're not necessarily treasuries or government securities. And you had municipal money market funds that were just getting massive redemptions, and so much so that the broker-dealers that helped support those money funds day in and day were getting inundated with just supply. And so those yields were going up dramatically. In fact, tax-exempt seven-day yields would be the equivalent of something like a tax-exempt version or a municipal bond version of a seven-day T-bill 
hit as high as a five and a half percent in late March. So it went from under one percent to up to five and a half percent. And that really put pressure on all the maturities within the municipal bond market, not just the short term maturities, and also put all the pressure not only on the AAA type of securities, but even lower investment grade securities went up several hundred basis points during that late March time period. But almost as soon as the Federal Reserve began to get that uh, get that operating and allowing those money funds to sell and to meet those redemptions, those rates came right back down. And today, obviously, they're extremely low, right back down to where Treasury rates. But when Treasury rates were at 0.2%, those tax-free rates were at 5.5%. So huge and historical dislocation there. And again, they, this is the first time they instituted that program. 2008, they didn't even do that program. And the other one, the, the other key program that they put into place, they being the Federal Reserve, was the secondary corporate market credit facility, which gave the Federal Reserve the ability to go out and buy securities in the secondary marketplace of corporate bonds, and importantly, not only just investment-grade corporate bonds, but something called fallen angels. And those are corporations whose rating was investment-grade, triple B minus or higher, but they actually could have been downgraded and below investment grade, or that is having fallen into into the junk bond category and the high yield category, the Federal Reserve actually announced that they buy those as well. And that really acted as a really strong backstop to how low corporate bond prices could go. And so the market really began to heal as soon as those two programs got into place. Very, very critical, and they deserve a lot of credit for where the markets are today, which is much more stable, much more liquid, much more normal. Um, So, yeah, those are two really, really important uh, programs that uh, helped uh, for where we are today, Matt. So normally during periods of volatile price movements, you would expect to have a lower number of new issues happening, but that didn't happen this last time, did it? No, particularly in in the corporate bond market. In fact, the corporate bond market through the first six months of the year is on a record pace. In fact, they issue more debt in the first six months of this year than they did of all of last year. So something like $1.3 trillion of corporate bond issuance. And the thinking was is that corporations really needed some reserves to get them through this COVID-19 crisis. And they were willing to borrow even at maybe a little bit more loftier type of rates, but they just really wanted those reserves. So even in the darkest moments when there wasn't a lot of liquidity and yields were going higher and prices were going down on on corporate bonds in the secondary marketplace, the primary marketplace pretty much was open for business. They were doing deals. So we've seen a record amount of issuance and a record amount of issuers coming to the marketplace here in the first six months of the year. slowed down here a little bit in July, but we're easily going to surpass the annual record set a couple of years ago. So yeah, extremely busy period for corporate issues and not only investment grade corporations, but even high yield corporations have had access to the market, which is a really good sign because they need these reserves to get them through the tough times that we're going through 
you know, revenues are down, obviously, because of COVID-19 in a lot of industries. And having those reserves around is going to give them a lifeline to hopefully get through this trough type of period and see beyond. So, yeah, really good news, highly unusual, very difficult to predict, but issuance has been very high. So you've talked about investment grade, high yield, fallen angels. What about municipal bonds? Historically, their default rates have been rather low. So with these extended shutdowns and you know work from home orders, do you see municipals being able to weather the storm at all? Well, we're getting a lot of those questions. Obviously, a lot of our individual clients own municipal bonds because of their tax benefits or tax-free nature of that interest income. And a lot of them are, you know, in many ways, rightly to be concerned. We, however, think that it's most likely going to be a downgrade environment and not a default environment. And you're right, Matt. Historically, municipal bonds hardly ever go into bankruptcy. Uh, significantly lower empirical default rates compared to corporate bonds. Uh, they're typically empirical rates are just 0.2% of the overall universe of rated municipal securities actually go into default. And the reason why we don't think they're going to go into default is because most general obligation bond issuers, when you think of the states and localities, cities and counties and states, came into this downturn with pretty decent reserves. So they had, many of them had something called rainy day funds that were just made for times like this, that you, know, you have this kind of uh, financial upheaval that you need to have a little bit of reserves. So those reserves are going to be tapped into. And important to note, municipal credit quality is a lagging indicator. If you think about it, states collect their money from taxing economic activity the year before. So when individuals pay their tax on April 15th, which in this particular year got pushed to July 15th, you're getting taxed in what happened in 2019. So this fiscal year, which most states and localities do their fiscal planning and budgeting in the middle of the summer, is a little bit challenging, but it'll be more challenging in 2021-22 fiscal year, which begins in the summer of 2021. And when you think of revenue bonds, think of things like water and sewer, or transportation bonds, or even healthcare bonds. Most of those revenue issuers, the actual debt service relative to the overall amount of revenue that's being collected is relatively low. And so they're not as leveraged, if you will. So being able to handle the downturn and even revenue municipal bonds should be, in most circumstances, pretty easy to handle. Another thing about municipal bonds in, in general is you can't use a broad brush. There's, you can have two states right next to each other that are completely different in credit quality. Think of New York and New Jersey. New Jersey has been fiscally mismanaged for decades. New York does a really good job at managing their budget. So even in the tri-state area, you have these big differences. And you can think of the same thing with towns. You can have a really wealthy town next to a not-so-wealthy town. So you can't use broad brushes. You really got to understand the underlying dynamics. Look at it. So we would warn clients to try to not do it yourself, that there will be, you know, challenges out there, but we don't think it's going to be categorically default across the whole landscape of municipal bonds. We could see an increase, but most of that increase is going to come from unique and kind of different sectors of the municipal bond market, like nursing homes. Think of that. They're obviously going to be under some kind of pressure. Think of some a project that was being built 
they're going to meet delays. So a lot of waste to energy projects, they could, could have troubles. Um, think of something like a raw land deal where they're doing a development. Well, maybe that development will be put on hold. Anything where you need people to show up, uh, you know, like a stadium bond, things like that. They'll be under pressure, but I don't believe they're going to go into actual bankruptcy. A lot of the revenue bonds also have something called debt service reserve funds, which basically means they have money set aside that can pay interest and principal for at least 12 months. So a combination of not being leveraged on the revenue side, having a debt service reserve fund, and general obligation bonds coming into this downturn with a decent amount of reserves should allow them to weather the storm without a, you know, a very huge increase in default experiences. So defaults will go up, um, but not a lot, but there will be more downgrades across the whole universe. Got it. What about interest rates? We had the Fed meet yesterday and appears they're going to be lower for longer, which I don't think surprised anyone. But how long do you think that that stance is going to last? And do you think the Fed would ever implement a negative interest rate policy? Um, Let me answer the second question first. The answer to the second question is no. Right now, they, they being the Federal Reserve, looks at interest rates, negative interest rates, as having as many problems as it does benefits. And they look at the experience of what Japan's done, they look at the experience of what the European Central Bank has done, and they come away saying, we don't need to do that. And so, and they've been pretty vocal about that. Chairman Powell's uh, pretty much has said that uh, for now, they don't think that that's appropriate, and they're just gonna keep the actual Fed funds rate, the short-term rate at between zero and 25, and they just came out of the, their open market committee yesterday and reiterated that, that they're not going to go down. Importantly, they're not gonna go up anytime soon uh, either. And so we could be in this situation of short-term rates being near zero for many, many quarters ahead. And the only way we could see them getting away from this stance is if everything worked out perfectly, we had a vaccine and a year later, the economy is back to where we were before. We have this V-shaped recovery and things are really beginning to heat up. Everybody goes back to work and we get a little bit of inflationary pressures. So what we're watching is expectations of what inflation is going to be. And that's been interesting to watch, Matt, because what we saw in late March, well, all the crisis was hitting all the capital markets, is those expectations understandably collapse. So we look at something called the break-even rate on Treasury inflation-protected securities, which is really what the market thinks inflation is going to average over the next five years or 10 years, and we like to look at the 10-year. So looking a long horizon, well, 10-year inflation break-evens fell from about 175 basis points, which is what the market thought it would average for the next 10 years back in February, to all the way down there about just a half a percent. And lately, they've been kind of clawing their way back. Right now, they're about 150 basis points. So we haven't clawed all the way back. So that's a that's kind of an indicator that we're, we're watching very carefully. Now, if that indicator gets significantly above the Federal Reserve's target of 2% and it stays there and goes from you know, one and a half to two and a half for three, and we see a global coordination of economic activity, 
I think not only our Federal Reserve, but central banks around the globe will begin to think, okay, maybe we don't need to keep short-term interest rates this low for that long. So it would have to be a coordinated global improvement of the economy, and importantly, global inflation going significantly higher than where we are today and staying there. And so we just view that outcome is most likely a low probability. So we think short-term interest rates will stay low for a very long time. We may see longer-term interest rates drift a little bit higher if that inflation expectation heads toward 2%, 2.5%. So the 10-year Treasury rate now, you know, call it right around 55 basis points. You can call it a 30-year Treasury rate around a 1.2. We could see both of those go maybe 50 basis points higher in the next year, but it would have to be coordinated with what's going on in global rates. Remember, global rates, sovereign rates, there's more than 14 trillion that are negative. And so those negative interest rates, if you will, around the globe from other governments would also have to start stop being negative and go positive. Again, we think that there's a very low probability of happening, but we could see intermediate and longer term interest rates drift higher if the economy gets its footing, if we have a V-shaped recovery, and if we have consistently higher readings of inflation and inflation expectations. Well, I've always found the fixed income markets to be more complex. And, and I think that you've really provided a lot of clarity and explanation and rationale. So, John, I pre- appreciate you taking the time to fit this into your schedule. My pleasure, Matt. Take care. For more content from John and his team at BNY Mellon, you can check them out online at bnymellonwealth.com. Or you can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Matt Rush SFP. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified as new episodes are released. And if you're interested in our firm or would like to contact me, check us out online at strategicfinancialpartners.com.